Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning Trinity Community Church. How are you doing this morning? Are you happy to be here? You made it through 2023. You made it here. How many of you thought there ain't no way I'm making it to 2023? But you did it, right? It's good to see everybody. Welcome to everybody at home. Welcome to family. We got some family here from Erie, Pennsylvania. You know, I think Erie is the snowiest city in America, isn't it? Unfortunately, it's great. Uh, it's good to see everybody. Hopefully you have um, gotten through all the holiday cheer. Isn't it funny how you can't wait for the holidays to get here? And then they get here and you can't wait for them to be over. Have you ever noticed that? How many of you, you know, are like as soon as Christmas is over, you put all your stuff away as soon as possible? How many of you let it linger? How many of you still have your Christmas stuff up? How, how late do you keep it up? Like Valentine's Day? Easter? How long, I mean, do you have an Easter tree? How long do you keep it up? Yeah, it's just crazy. Um, I, um, I remember, um, you know, for us, we get not just the joys of, you know, doing the holiday stuff at home, but we have the joys of doing holiday stuff here uh, as well. And um, I remember, um, you know, we, we did all our holiday stuff, and then afterwards we, we went and we visited some family. Um, we had an opportunity to get away for oh, about three or four days. So we visited our Erie family uh, back in, in Erie, PA, and then we went to uh, visit the Greeks uh, down in Pittsburgh. Uh, then we went to a Steeler game. You can see that's us there. Last Sunday, we were not with you. We were at Heinz Field uh, watching the Steelers do their job. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But as we were traveling, I try to be laser-focused with what I do in the holidays. So I had a couple goals, simple goals that I wanted to accomplish while we were gone. One of the goals was very simple to eat as much as possible. How many of you had that holiday goal? You didn't care about the, 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 you know, the, the, the weight. You didn't care about your pants. Because how many of you know after the holidays you were going to take care of all that stuff? And you know, you're thinking you might gain five pounds, but maybe that five turned to 10 or 20 or whatever it was. So I'm, I'm at the hotel in Pittsburgh after the Steeler game. I've eaten everything that I possibly can get in my face for about four days. And God, in that moment, decides to send me a sign. Has God ever sent you a sign? This was my sign. As I put my belt on, my belt disintegrates in my hands. The metal rips apart. It's the craziest thing. I didn't, I've never seen welds give this quick. I go, oh no, what's going on? And God's like, you know what's going on. Chunky poo diddle. You know what's going on. So that moment, have you ever tried to exist for a day without a belt? It's not easy, man. It's crazy. So that was my sign. Now, all of us, from time to time, we get signs, especially when it comes into, um, you know, becoming something new. We don't like change. Do you know that? We stink at change, actually. How many of you like ice cream? How many of you have a certain brand of ice cream you like? How many of you have a certain flavor of ice cream that you like? We don't like change, do we? How many of you like pizza? How many of you know that all pizza is not created equal? There's certain pizzas that's pizza, and then there's other stuff that's not pizza, right? We don't like change. We don't. Um, so that's why we stink at it. Even though we get the prompts, even though we get the nudges, you know, the little nudges. Sometimes, you know, God may even be, be giving you a nudge about your spiritual life. He may give you a little, a little push about what your next steps are. Maybe it's um, something that he wants you to do, something he wants you to accomplish. 
Maybe a dream that he gave you years ago. Sometimes we, we move beyond the spiritual, we go into the physical things. Sometimes we get physical prompts like the breaking of a belt, the call of a doctor that's not very good. Maybe the reflection of something that you see in the mirror. You know, have you ever looked in the mirror and you're like, ah! Because you're like, who's that big chunky person looking? Oh, that's me. Sometimes reflection is different than that. Sometimes it's when you spend time, you know, alone and you start to reflect of where you are in life. You thought maybe you'd be in a different place. Maybe you're reflecting on your life and there's chapters in the book of your life that you wish were never written. But they are. Now, regardless of all those things, change, becoming something different, isn't easy. In fact, most of us fail at becoming something new. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? How many of you have already broken your New Year's resolution? Do you know this is a crazy stat? 91% of people that make New Year's resolutions don't finish them. In fact, they break them within the first four weeks. It's nuts. Within the first four weeks. Why do we fail? Now, maybe you don't have a realistic plan. Maybe you don't know where to start because sometimes change. I mean, where do, you, where do you even begin? Where do you take that first step? Know this, beloved. When it comes to your Christian life, if you want to have a successful faith, a successful Christian life, if you want to have a vibrant faith, it's not just important to change. It's not just important to kind of know the right things, but it's important, most important, to know what's most important. Do you know that there's different levels of important? So when it comes to your faith, you have to learn and understand how to put the first things first. This whole month we're talking about that. If you want to be new, if you want to be in the center of God's will in his heart, you got to know what the priority list of heaven is. So last week we started everything off talking about the primary, the most important thing you can do when it comes to God. You know what that is? It's your relationship with Christ. Everything else is secondary to that. If you don't know Jesus you got big issues when it comes to your faith. So the most important thing you can do is know who God is. Have a relationship with him. And to know this fact, you know that God doesn't just call you a creator, you know, a creation. He calls you his friend. Why? Because you have a relationship with him. Alex did a great job of sharing that last week. Today we take another step. We take another step in what it means to understand what it means to live a fulfilling Christian life in which God is happy with you, where he's pleased with you, and where you actually, you know, live out your purpose. So what does it mean for you and I to live out a life of purpose? Well, it starts with this, having a life of faith. What does it mean to have faith? Have you ever thought about what faith is? I mean, faith is one of those, like, you know, $12 words that, that everybody's trying to figure out what it is, because you say the word faith, and it can mean so many different things to different people. I mean, is faith just believing that good things are going to happen in your life, you know, for no reason at all? Is faith a guess, a shot in the dark? It's kind of connected to hope. So I watched, uh, how many of you guys watched the football games last night? Did you see that second game? Sucked me right in. You know, they won, I was up to like 11.30 watching that stupid game. And I watched it, and I was amazed, and I was happy because it's football, but I'm going to be honest with you, I was a little sad. You know why I was sad? Because my beloved Pittsburgh Steelers are not in the playoffs. It's like knowing that there's a prom and not having a date. Not getting invited to the prom. And this is what breaks my heart more than anything. You know, in order for the Steelers to get into the playoffs, three things had to happen. Just three little things. First, we had to beat the Cleveland Browns, and we did soundly. 
May Jesus be praised. Right? And we had to have a couple other teams do a few things. So I found myself last Sunday praying for, for you can go to the next slide, for that guy. Do you know who that is? Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco was the quarterback for the Jets. And all the Jets had to do was beat the Miami Dolphins and the Steelers are in the playoffs. The Miami Dolphins are starting a third-string quarterback that they picked. He was stocking shelves at the Walmart two days earlier. Can't even spell football. Put him right in there. All he has to do is beat them. But Joe Flacco, who broke my heart as a, as a raven, as, I prayed for him. I prayed, Lord, if you could just help Joe this one time, give him all the strength and the wisdom that he needs so that we'd be victorious. And you know what? I, I heard that there's a statue of, Jew, of Joe down by, you know, by, by, you know, by the stadium you know, for DU. You know, he plays like a statue. He does. They lost 6 to 11. That's a football score. 6 to 11. Do you know what it's like to have put all, all your hope, all your dreams, all your faith in, in that guy? Joe Flacco? Is that what faith is? A shot in the dark? Praying that, that, that somebody does something for you so you can have a, an outcome that you want? What is faith when it comes to us as believers? Is faith that simple? Is it complex? It's all those things. Beyond all of it for us as believers, faith is an action that God requires of us. If you want to please God, you have to take a step of faith. Faith is more than an intellectual exercise. Faith is more than a belief system. Faith just doesn't exist between your ears. Faith is an action, and you need it if you're going to please God. Now, here's the challenge. You and I cannot live lives of faith without dependence, depending on Him. And for the most part, most of us as believers try to live as dependent-free as possible. Don't we? We try to live insulated, from fears, insulated from our needs, insulated from anything that could possibly rock the boat. And understand this, faith lives in the waters outside of the boat. So if you never have to step out of the boat, you don't have room for faith in your faith. Have you ever thought about this? When's the last time you actually had faith in your faith? When's the last time you took a step of faith in the midst of your faith? Beloved, sometimes we live our lives more from a place of safety and personal convenience than we do faith. So what is a life of faith? What does it look like for us? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. If you've got our app, if you pull it up, you get all my notes. If you've got the U version of the Bible, look for live events, you'll see Trinity Community Church. Here the author of Hebrews gives us an understanding of what faith is and why it's so important for us to live it out. He says this, 11, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let me read it one more time. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So know this, beloved, as believers, our number one goal in life 
is simply this, to please God. We want to, when we die, when we see God, we want to hear him look at us in the eyes and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So our lives are built, oriented, that they should be as believers around pleasing God. When you look at that word to please, that Greek word to please actually means this. It means to give pleasure. So why is it important for us to please God? Why is it important for us to give him pleasure? Well, because we please the ones that we love, right? When you love somebody, don't you want to please them? How many of you are married? How many of you love to please your spouse? Now, how many of you know if you stop caring about and pleasing your spouse, they may not be your spouse for long, right? We have a tendency sometimes to be self-focused. A few years ago, this book came out called The Five Love Languages. How many remember The Five Love Languages? What did we learn in that? You know, everybody's got a love language, and primarily, we love other people through our love language, not through theirs. It'd behoove you to learn their love language and love them that way. Anytime we do marital counseling, that's, that's what we talk about. Because when you love people, you please them. You know, some of you just had a practical exercise in that. How many of you gave somebody a gift through the holidays? You know what that was? That was a way for you to practically show somebody that you love them. So if you, you know, bought your gift for somebody on Christmas Eve at the Wawa, you showed them how much you loved them by the gas card you gave them, right? I mean, it was made with thoughtfulness, and the Slurpee was exquisite. But, you know, it's just what it is what it is. We did something interesting this year for the Harrises, and I, and I loved it the holidays. It totally changed my life. Gift giving for me is, 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 is tough because you, you don't know what to get somebody. How many of you have that anxiety? I don't know how to get, what, what, what do you want? I don't know, just get me anything. If you're married, that, that's a wrong answer. Get me anything or don't get me anything at all. That's a trap, man. That's a trap. Turn around. It's a trap. So McKenna had this great idea. She says, why don't we go on Amazon and make a list of things that you could potentially like for Christmas? <clears throat> it was amazing. Blew my mind. I had a list, something that I could go down through. And we had a very holly jolly happy Christmas. Why? People got what they wanted. Now, you know, even in the sizes, because how many of you know sizes are a big deal? You just don't get everybody an extra large. That's, that's, that's bad, right? So, you know, we, we had our little list, and you didn't have to get it off Amazon, but Tori kept dropping hints of something that she wanted. Now, Tori, you guys know Tori. She did worship stuff up here today. You know, she's a, a nerd at heart. So she does computer programming and all that stuff, and she wanted a 3D printer. Have you seen these 3D printers? You can put them in, you can print anything you want in there. So we decided, we saved up, we got her a, 3, a 3D printer. That means this, if you go in my house today, since Christmas morning, all you hear is this, for hours. She printed a little duck, it was that big. It was only eight hours, it was great, that big. And she's been progressing. She went from ducks, we have a dog, we have an octopus, it's got the little tentacles that move around, and now, I'm not making this up, she is printing an elephant cutlery holder for Tyler McKenna for their house. So if you need an item, she's going to be having an Etsy store at some point. She'll print anything you want. You can have your head as a cutlery holder. It's going to be beautiful. It's amazing. But what was cool was this. She opened this thing up, and she was just going bananas. And then she opened it, and there's stuff's everywhere. It's sitting right on the living room table or the kitchen table, and it's all over the place. And she just, she has so much joy. She was printing that thing last night, nonstop, 
since Christmas. She's pleased. We love to please those that we love. So what does it mean for us to please God? If you want to please God, you have to have two primary things uh, in, in your head. It means two, these two things. First, you can't please him until you know him. You can't please him until you know him. You can't fully please him until you have a relationship with him. And I'm not talking about a far-off thing like, yeah, I saw him running through the woods one time. You know, God's not a Sasquatch. I think he's out there. He's there. And he wants a personal relationship with you. If you want to please him, it starts with this. Know him. The second, if you want to please God, you have to love him the way that he wants to be loved. What does that mean? You don't set the terms of the relationship. He does. Don't love him through your love language. Love him by what he asks you to do. That shows us the primary way to love him and to connect with him and to be pleasing to him. This means this, beloved. You have to step out of yourself, out of your comfort zone, out of your limited understanding, step out into faith and do what he asks you to do. You have to show God that you love him, not just by the things that you say. How many of you know that talk is cheap? We show God that we love him by what we do. Your talk and your walk, they have to match up. Hebrews 13, 16 puts it this way. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. I think it's kind of funny that the author of Hebrews says this. Don't forget. Why does he say that? You know why? Because we forget. We go off target, don't we? We start to get sucked up into our own little world. We get busy. We forget. So God says, don't forget. Do good. Share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. But we have to be careful. We've got to be careful that when we please God, when we do these things, we don't do these things in empty ways. Have you ever done something in an empty way? Your heart wasn't in it? You did it because it was just the right thing to do and it didn't come from your heart? Um, like I said earlier, you know, some of you, we just got our Christmas stuff away. Because not only do we get the joys of putting our Christmas stuff up and down, but here at the church, we get to do it here too. Go team. Yay. So, you know, we were putting all of our stuff away and, and it was crazy. And, and, and we did so much stuff through the holidays, it's nuts. I had somebody ask me today, hey, pastor, when are you taking down the outside lights? I looked at him and said, I don't know. I may just leave them up all year. Like my neighbor across the street. I, why is it my job to take down everything, right? I said, I don't know. So, you know, one of the things that we did, we did the tree sale down at the, at the well, and we took down all the stuff at the tree sale, but we had all these posts that were in the ground so that it would hold up the trees. How many of you remember the tree sale and all the posts? So I went out there, you know, as the Greek guy that I am, and I thought, I'll just rip these right out of the ground. Au contraire. The old Greek back doesn't do what it used to. So I needed help. So I thought, I'm going to enlist the help of my youngest son, the college athlete, Toby John Harris. But I understand this about my son. If there's work involved in it, he's a little more resistant to just not show up or be a part of it. So I had to do something with my son that I'm not proud of. I had to deceive him. Have you ever deceived your children? I recommend it. So I sent him a text. I said, Toby, I'm at the well. Would you like to join me? He goes, sure, what are we doing? And I just went radio silent. Could be a milkshake. Could be a steak sandwich. Probably never thought to be pulling posts up, but hey, that's what happens. So he showed up and goes, hey, what are we doing? I said, well, we 
aren't doing anything, but you are going to go out here and pull these, these, these stakes up. Oh, I don't think I can do it. I said, you know, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, Philippians 4.13. <laughs> so Toby went out in the mud and the muck and the mire, and he's pulling these things up, and he's not happy. I can almost hear him grumbling from my office. You're your dad, stupid dad. And someday God's going to, you're going to die, and I'm going to enjoy that day. And he's doing all that stuff, and he's pulling them up. But I don't care because the posts are coming out of the ground, and I'm fine. But it's funny, about 10 minutes into it, Tori shows up. And she's out there, and she goes, what are you guys doing? And she goes, and he goes, I'm taking these two posts. And she goes, post, let me try. And she's laughing and smiling, having the time of her life. And as she's doing more, Toby's stepping back and doing less and less and less. So I had both of my children serving, doing stuff. Toby you know, grumbled the whole time, and Tori was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Don't do things in empty ways. So Toby worked for Jesus that day. He doesn't get any credit. you know why? He was a party pooper. Every party needs a pooper. That's how we invited you. Party pooper, party pooper, right? Tori did it with joy. Why you do stuff, how you do stuff, the motive of your heart's important to God. Sometimes we do things for God in an empty way. We do. How can you tell when you do things for God in an empty way? Well, empty way things are usually focused on us. You know? I don't have time for this. I can't do this. I should be doing this. I should be doing more. I, I can't do that. I, 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 I. Notice the common denominator? I, 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 I. That's when you know you're doing something in an empty way. When your church experience revolves around what you get rather than what you give, it becomes empty. We don't just receive, beloved, but we give of ourselves. Empty way things don't require any faith or value from us. It really requires nothing from us. And this is, this is the danger of doing empty way things. Sometimes we give God our excess, the crumbs, rather than giving him the best and the first. Sometimes we give him the leftovers. Sometimes we give him, you know, whatever we have left, whatever we have time for at the end. We plan all of our schedules, we plan all of our times, we plan out all of our money, we do all of our stuff and whatever's left, well then God, you can kind of get the crumbs from the table, the God that has given you everything in the first place. Now what's funny is this, we talk about that with money, but sometimes we forget that that's just more than money, that's everything. We have to stop giving God the leftovers of our time, our talent, and our treasures. We give him the best, we give him the best first. That's an act of faith, to give him the best of who you are and to trust that he'll take care of the rest. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, I know most of us here aren't farmers, so you're probably not putting anything into a barn or anything into a vat. But the principle is the same. It's not just with your money, but with your life. If you honor God with your best, he won't just make up for what you had before. He will give you better. Not just wine, new wine. He'll give you the best that he has. Now that principle is more than just physical things. It also talks about your posture with the kingdom. Jesus echoed that fact in, my, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. 
Know this, beloved. You cannot be pleasing to God without giving him your best. And you can't not give God your best without taking a step of faith. Why is that an act of faith? If you give God your best, all that you have, you're trusting him to backfill and to give you everything else that you need. We don't give him the seconds. We give him the best of who we are. Faith tells us this. Even though I'm giving you my best, Lord, I will trust you to give me everything that I need, not just for survival, but God, he didn't promise you survival. You know what he promised you? Abundant life. There's a difference. Abundant life. That's what he promised you. But that all starts with you giving your best to him. Faith. Look at the passage again. Let's keep going. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. What's the author saying here? Very simply this. If you want to have a deeper faith with God, a deeper understanding with God, you have to be willing to take a step. You have to be willing to move closer, to draw near. You can't really know God from a distance. Faith. Your faith requires a step. You have to step toward him. You have to know who he is. And then with that step, this is, this is crazy, you this? You have to believe. What does it mean to believe? Now, this is cool. The Greek word here for believe, pisteo, which actually means this, to trust from a place of personal experience. This is not a shot in the dark. This isn't a hope and a prayer, you know, from something that you've never had experience. This is a place of trust from a personal experience. Because here's the reality. How many of you know that, that belief, you can believe in something, but you can then really believe in something? Belief and belief are two different things sometimes. I was watching um, Shark Week. How many of you like when you watch Shark Week? How many years has Shark Week been on? Like 100? And when you watch Shark Week, let me ask you a question. Why do you watch Shark Week? Do you watch Shark Week for the scientific information? No. Why do we watch Shark Week? We want to hear about the stories of people that you know, encountered sharks, people that survived, and how to protect ourselves from those things that want to eat you. So I was watching it, and there was a lady on, this was years ago, and she had developed a band that you could put on your arm or your feet, and it was, it was supposed to deter sharks. That's a good thing, right? It sent out this electromagnetic pulse that messed up their, their navigation system, so anytime they sensed it or they got near you, they didn't like it, so they swam away. Now, here was the only problem with it. It wasn't fully tested yet. So she decided to test it during Shark Week. So this is what she did. She jumped on a surfboard in the middle of the, the ocean somewhere. They, they called up a bunch of these sharks. They chummed the water, got all these sharks, and they would observe these sharks getting close to her, and then she would activate this thing on her wrist, and then they would see if this thing indeed would repel sharks. Now, I'm not a smart man, but I can think of about 150 other ways to test this than to put my chunky Greek body in the water with sharks, you know, to turn on the device just to see if it works. So they put her in the water, and they had all these people in the lookout, and obviously they had a safety plan. If things went south, they'd go get this lady. So she's sitting in the water. They chum up the water. All these sharks start coming, and they're, you know, the, the music is playing. It's Shark Week. they got 150 cameras on, and she's pounding in the water, and the sharks are circling, and they're getting closer and closer and closer. 50 meters, 40 meters, check. 30 meters, check. At any moment she can, she's got to hit the button. She can hit the button, and they come and they save her. They get to within like 15 meters, 
and this chick starts to freak out. She hits the button, the divers go in the water, they push away the sharks, they save her, and they bring her to the boat. And she's sitting on the thing, and she's upset, and she's shocked that these sharks wanted to eat her. So they interview her, and, and, and they say, well, you know, what, what, how are you feeling? What's going on? And she said this. She said, she goes, I thought it would work. She thought it would work so much she put her life on the line to see if it would work. Now, again, I can think of about 150 other ways that we could test this. A mannequin. Joe Flacco. <laughs> I don't know. You'll be fine, Joe. It'll be fine. There's a difference, again, in how you believe in something. Risk and faith are two different things. Believers, we don't risk. We take steps of faith. And those steps are not just shots in the dark. Those are steps that are built on the relationship that we have with Christ. We know how he's met us in the past. We believe that the same God that met you yesterday is going to meet you today and he'll meet you tomorrow. Pisteo comes with an element of deep personal trust. Trust in what? Trust that God's going to meet you again. Trust that God can do what he says he can do. You sang about it today in two different languages. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. As Christians, sometimes people say, we don't tell lies, we sing them. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's your way maker? Do you believe he's your miracle worker? Do you believe that God keeps his promises? He does. So you can believe in him. You can trust that he'll do that. And then the passage goes on and it says that we can believe that tr and trust that God exists. What does that mean? I mean, obviously we know that God exists. This is where the scriptures get cool. When you look at that Greek word for exists, it's I may, which actually translates to this. I am. Sound familiar? It should. It should sound familiar. I am. That is how God defined himself way back in the Old Testament to Moses. And when he revealed himself to those that were in Egypt in slavery, if you got your Bibles, flip over to Exodus chapter 3. Let's just read through the story real quick. Interesting that the author of Hebrews reminded us on how we're supposed to view God in the place that he should be in our lives. This is Exodus chapter 3, verses 1. It says, On that day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. The bush was engulfed in flames and it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming closer, coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. No, notice, what did Moses do? He stepped closer. What's going on? Let, let, let me move closer. The angel, let me move a little closer. Faith requires a step. Verse 5, don't come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then Moses, oh, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of the people in Egypt. 
I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites now live. Verse 9. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Plain and simple, God gives Moses direction, purpose. He understands, I heard my people, I have a mission for you, Moses. I have something for you to do. How long have you prayed for God to show you your purpose? And what does God do for Moses? He reveals all that to him. And what does Moses say? But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Israel, of the people out of, Israel, out of Egypt? Now, thank God, none of us ever push back on God when he asks us to do stuff. Thank God we have moved so far past Moses, right? How many times when God asks you to do something, you know, do we become professional at disqualifying ourselves? Oh, God, I can't, 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 can't. You know, I, I can't do any of this stuff, right? But God's patient, verse 12. God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Verse 13. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, you know, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And this is where it gets powerful. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, this is what's nuts about that statement. This encounter with Moses shifted Israel's complete understanding of who God was. Up to this point, the Israelites referred to God as Elohim or El Shaddai, which basically means this, God Almighty. Now, Elohim was a, was a title or a description rather than a name. God was this deity that was over everything, but he wasn't relational. It's hard for the Jews to see him in a personal way. So when God said to Moses, he referred to himself as I am. What he was saying to Moses was this, I am all you ever need. It wasn't about the cosmos anymore. It was about the people, the Israelites, the heart of Moses. And again, the way that Hebrew is set up is different than the way English is set up. So, you know, in, in English, you've got different tenses. You've got the past, the present, and the future. In Hebrew, you have the complete and the incomplete. And what he was saying was this. He was saying, I am all you will ever need. I'm all you've ever needed and all you ever need. I'm out of time. Anything you could possibly need, I am. And it just blew their minds. He was saying, I'm not here just to look over all the big stuff. I'm your source of life and joy and peace and happiness. I am everything. Provision, I take care of it all for you. And it took the Israelites into a completely new understanding of who God was. And then we see Jesus coming you know, later you know, down the road. And, and he continued to build on that understanding. He built on it when he said stuff like he did in, in John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And as if that wasn't enough, Jesus took an even greater step 
to connect all the dots. In John 8, 58, he said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Adam was, I am. Just gives you chills. I am. Everything. So here's our question today. Is he, I am, for you? Is he the center of everything? Is he the centerpiece of your provision? Is he the center of your relationships? Is he the center of your world? Do you think about him when you wake up in the morning? Do you think about him when you go to bed at night? Is he, I am? Or have other things taken his place in your heart? He's either I am or he's nothing at all. Let's finish this up. Look at the passage again. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, this is interesting. One of the names of God, who God is, God is our rewarder. Now, the Greek word for this is interesting. It simply means this, the one who pays wages. Now, when you see the word reward, what do you think of? This is what I think of. I think of finding that stray dog on the street because you find the dog, you see the sign on the pole. If you find Fluffy and you bring her home, you get a a reward for something special, something extra. You get a reward. That's not what this word means. This word simply means this, the one that that, that pays wages, the one that gives you what, what you deserve, what you've earned. So that means this, not only will God take care of, again, what you need when you seek him out, he will give you everything you need to accomplish the task that he's asking you to do. If he gives you a mission, with that mission comes provision. When you step out of yourself and you step out of your own limitations and your own fears, God gives you exactly what you need to accomplish those amazing things to accomplish the impossible. What is one of the biggest barriers that we face as believers to stepping out in faith? Can't figure it out. We don't have enough. I mean, think about it. The second God asks you to do something, what's the first thing that pops in your head? How? Am I alone? TJ, I want you to give $72,000, you know, to BGMC. How? It's very simple. You write the check. It's a different how. Susie, I want you to step out and I want you to go to Africa. How? Well, you, you get a ticket, you get on a plane, and you, it's a different how. We try to figure everything out. Did God ever ask you to figure it out? What does God ask you to do? Say yes. Have you thought about this? Why don't we see more amazing things happen in our Christian faith? Why don't you see more of the miraculous in your life? You know why you don't see more? Because most of the time as believers now, we live too much in our own strength and our own abilities. We do. We live safe, ineffective, powerless Christian lives. You have to love me because Jesus said you had to, so I'm just going to say some things. Is that okay? We, um, we are content to keep our faith in a box and to keep our faith contained to our own abilities. 
whether it's our own intellect, our own strength, and our own gifting. And you know what that means? That means for us, our faith is more focused on ourselves than living faith-filled lives that promote the kingdom. If you want to live your life, if your faith is going to actually include faith that builds the kingdom, beloved, it is way bigger, way greater than anything you and I could ever give to bring to the table alone. You don't have enough to build the kingdom through just who you are. God requires more. You cannot have a miracle without having a need. You can't have supernatural stories without stepping out of the natural and facing the impossible. Why don't we hear more testimonies about the impossible? We're not willing to step out of the safe. Because we're content. We have more to lose. So we hedge our bets and we stay safe. Have you ever thought about this? How does God meet needs? How does God do impossible things? You know how he does it? Through you. Through me. You understand that you're the delivery system of the miraculous, right? You're the delivery system of radical provision, right? You're the delivery system of the impossible. And know this, beloved. If we don't say yes to God and we don't allow him to flow through us, we don't say yes. Things just don't happen. Our faith activates the miraculous. You're saying yes. Your faith activates the miraculous. And sometimes we forget this. We think miracles are these big, bombastic things. How many of you know that miracles often start with just a little yes? I remember uh, a couple years ago, I was having breakfast, one of my most favorite things to do. I was having breakfast with a pastor friend of mine in Wisconsin. He's was pastor of a Baptist church. We were just having a great day. Um, and we're there, and, and I'm just going to say this. Our, our waitress that day was a little off her game. Um, you ever have a waiter or waitress that was off their game? And, you know, I, I'm a very giving person. As long as I can eat, it's fine. But it's hard to eat your breakfast without, like, utensils, stuff like that. You know, I mean, I'll go with my hands. I'll do it, baby. Greeks got to eat, right? And I could, it was just a bad day. You could just tell she was off a little bit. And, you know, when you're eating there and you're trying, you know, your stuff, you know, I'd like, you know, silverware so I can eat my breakfast. I'd like some ketchup, some toast. You know that toast that I ordered? That'd be great. Stuff like that. And I could tell she was just flustered. And, uh, and I was like, man, you know, come on, we could get this better. And as I was in the middle of that, uh, God spoke to me. He says, yeah, you know that girl that's having trouble today? I go, yeah, one, I'm waiting for ketchup still. He goes, um, ask her about her dog. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I, I'll ask her about her dog the second I get ketchup, okay, Lord? Let's just do that first, okay? He said, trust me on this. Ask her about her dog. And I'm like, God, I don't want to ask her about her dog. I'm here with my, with my Baptist friend. He doesn't believe in this stuff. I, I, that's just weird. He said, trust me. I said, okay. She came back, and I still had no ketchup. I'm not bitter about that. <laughs> she was leaving. I said, I, I said, I said ma'am, can I ask you a question? I said, I said, how is your dog doing? She looked at me. And she started to ugly cry, and she ran off. And I thought to myself, there ain't no way I'm getting ketchup now. <laughs> that ketchup's gone. And I'm sitting with my, with my friend, and he's like, well, that was interesting. I said, it was interesting. I didn't expect that at all. About five minutes later, she had, like, mascara running down her face. 
came up to me. She goes, how did you know about my dog? I said, I don't know anything about your dog. I said, but God knows about your dog. And he knows that you care deeply about your dog. And he wants you to know that he cares deeply for you. So then she sat down right next to us. And I thought to myself, none of these other people are getting anything. (laughs) She's offline now. And she started to to pour out her heart. This is nuts. Um, She'd just broken up with her husband. No kids. She was alone, lonely. The only one that she had was this dog, no family. And the dog was sick, and she found out. She just got back from the vet, and the vet's like, listen, unless this dog gets this surgery, it's going to die. And she said she sat on the floor that night before, and she was praying, holding, crying on this dog. She says, God, she goes, if you take this dog from me, she goes, I got nothing left. She goes, you got you to hear me. You got to fix my, I'm going to cry about it, dang it. She goes, you got to fix this dog. I looked at her, I said, you know what we're going to do? I said, we're going to pray for your dog. We're going to pray that God heals your dog, and God's going to show you that he's alive, and a miracle's happened. He's going to show you that you matter to him. So there in that restaurant, we bowed our heads, and we prayed for that dog. I forget the name of the dog. And I said goodbye, and everything was fine. I didn't hear anything from it, and it was, it was weird. About three weeks later, I come to church on a Sunday morning, and that lady comes into, the, she's at church. And I'm like, man, I said, what's going on? She goes, you're not going to believe it. She goes, my dog didn't die. My dog got better. Everything's fine. She goes, I, and she goes, she goes, you prayed that day for my dog. And she goes, I knew the second God healed my dog that God heard me and he had a plan for my life. And she came and she became part of our church. Why? Because I asked a lady how her dog was doing. Prompted the Holy Spirit. You know what that was? A step of faith. So here's my question for you this morning, beloved. Does your faith still have an element of faith in it? Does your faith still contain faith? Our faith is more than just theology. And I'm all for theology and I'm all for strategies, but it's more than that. Your faith is built on your dependence, your willingness to step out of your comfort zone to allow God to display his power through you if you let him. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 2. He said this. He says, I was with you in weakness, and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When is the last time you allowed yourself to be dependent? You stepped out a little further and you allowed God to use you. If we're going to see our world change, guys, it's not going to be because we argue better with people. It's going to be because God meets people in a supernatural way. Through you and through me. Bow your heads. I just want you to just take a minute and talk to the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Ask him that question. Say, Lord, does my faith, my belief in you, still have an element of faith? Or have I lost something along the way? And listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or Follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.